Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking about harvest loss. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm, we'd love to visit with you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. This harvest loss thing, it's a big deal. If you aren't paying attention to it in a real quick hurry, you can have thousands of dollars sitting on the ground there. One of the things we're always going to advise you to do is we have an app. It's called the Ag PhD Harvest Loss Calculator. When you pull that up, then you can punch in the crop that you are raising, whether it's corn or soybeans, wheat, sorghum, barley, oats, whatever it is. And then you can put in how many seeds you're getting per square foot. So one of the things that Darren and I have done for years is we've taken these little square, we made some little square tubes and we've uh, given a bunch of these to agronomists around the country as well. But anyway, just take PVC. What we did is took PVC pipe and, and put these together. But anyway, one foot squares. So the nice thing is we can just take it, go throw it out on the ground, then we can count how many seeds we have in each square foot. Now, I don't care what you use to do it, but the point is, if you take a few spots, you see kind of what your average is, you punch it into the calculator, and also you put in what your crop price is, then you're going to go real fast, uh, hey, I got a real problem here. And especially when you put the dollars and cents to it, like right now, if you're talking $5.50 corn today in our local market, you know, that's, uh, that's a lot. So anyway, it's one of those things where... You start talking about a few bushels per acre on the ground, and then you multiply it out, and pretty soon you end up with thousands of dollars of loss across the farm. So the whole thing is the reason why you want to identify that and the reason why you want to say, oh, wow, I need to do something about that is so you actually get motivated to stop the combine for a little bit because believe me, I know. On our farm, too, we're always trying to hurry, always trying to get done. We're usually, we usually have weather against us in the fall, lots of acres to go. Sometimes it's late in the day, and you just want to get done. I understand all that, but at the end of the day, we got to make some money if we're going to farm. So what we usually will encourage you to do after you have identified, hey, we have some loss, now it's the question of where's that loss coming from? So Typically, what we're looking at is either the loss was already there, so it was it were it was seeds that were already laying on the ground before you ever came along with the combine. Maybe it's header loss. Maybe it's something while you're going through the combine. So it's just a good idea every once in a while as you're going along with harvest, check on your harvest loss, check on how your machine is operating and everything else. And I don't care how fancy these sensors are, and you know monitoring all this grain loss and everything else we still are going to always encourage you look at the ground see what's really going on because you never know sometimes sensors are off sometimes things are plugged you, you just don't know for sure unless you're actually looking but yeah it's a really really big deal here's one other tip that we've got for you try to harvest your grain before it gets down a long ways on moisture i don't care if we're talking corn soybeans or whatever crop it is you always want to harvest a little on the wet side because then you have some cushion there. Usually you're not going to have near the harvest loss when your grain's just a little bit on the wet side. I'm not saying it has to be ridiculously wet, but a little wetter is better. For example, yesterday in the show, I was just talking about how we used to harvest a lot of corn at 17 or 18%, and now we harvest a lot of corn at 20 to 24%. 
our harvest loss has gone way down. And sure, I mean, it does cost us a little bit more in the drying, but we have our own drying setup. And propane, like last year, was ridiculously cheap. So it didn't cost very much. And then the big advantage, in addition to less harvest loss, was we were done earlier with harvest, meaning we could do more of the jobs later in the season and get ready for the next crop. Because that's one thing I think often gets forgotten is we're just so focused on this crop, we forget about next year. So that was something that our dad always tried to impress upon us is like, okay, look, we could let, you know, grain stand till the spring or, you know, do a number of things like that, or even harvest super late if we wanted to. But the point is now we're already behind for next year. We not only want to get our harvest done, we want to get our fertility done, any tillage we're trying to do or strip till or whatever. We want to prepare that ground so we are all ready to go. So next year can hopefully be our best year ever. So anyway, those are just things that we would encourage you to take a look at. On another note, you have undoubtedly heard that Bear has raised their price on Roundup here just in the last few days. Now, they're not alone in this. Every glyphosate company in the world went up. It had to do, well, it has to do with a lot of things. It's everything from the hurricane that shut down Bear's big plant here recently uh, down in New Orleans to logistical issues around the world to lack of raw materials to high worldwide demand. But the point is, a lot of farmers have been asking me just in the last few days, all right, should I change things up? Should I go away from Roundup? What what do I need to do because the Roundup price is now a couple bucks higher than it was just a few weeks ago or even a week ago? Look, number one, even if you continue to use it, and it's $2 higher. I, I was explaining to one guy yesterday, I go, well, think about it. I, I Here's the way I look at it on my farm. Let's just say I'm averaging 200 bushel corn. I hope I do better than that. But let's say it's 200 bushel corn, and our price right now is over $5. So let's just figure $5. Well, that's $1,000 an acre. And we're talking about something that went up $2. Okay, that's 0.2%. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a farmer, and I'm trying to keep my costs as low as possible too, and it doesn't make me super happy when the price of glyphosate and again, I don't care what brand it is, but the price of glyphosate is three times higher than it was last fall. But by the same token, for about a year, we were saying right here on the show, our advice, buy five years worth of glyphosate because it hit an all-time low for price. In the 50-plus years it had been out, it had never gotten as cheap as it did last fall and, and just prior to that. So anyway, there's that. But here's where I'm going with this whole thing. So it went up $2. At the end of the day, what do you care most about? Yield, costs, or profit? Well, for me, and what we usually are going to talk to you about is focus first on profit, then on yield, then on cost, okay? And yes, I wanna keep my costs down, but I just wanna keep my profits up. And so, well, sure, if you wanna switch things up with your herbicide program, I think that's probably good. I think more of us need to use more residuals. We'll have better weed control. So don't get too shook up about the Roundup thing. Went up a little bit. No real huge deal. Stay tuned. We'll talk harvest loss next. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. 
Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're talking a little about harvest loss. But if there's anything you would like to discuss that's going on on your farm, we'd be happy to talk to you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. All right, so today we're talking about harvest loss. And first on the show, we got Kelly Garrett with us. He is with Extreme Ag and he farms down in Iowa. Kelly, how are you today? Good. How are you, Brian? Great. Hey, have you started harvest yet? Yes, I'm in the grain cart right now, actually. We're combining beans. Nice. How are the yields? Uh, I had some early 1-1 and 1-3 beans that I got from you. They were from 63 to 68, had a bit of hail. Yep. We're in some 2-1s right now, and I just asked him before you called. They're making 81. Nice. Yeah, this year with the late rains, we kind of figured those later beans would probably do pretty well. So you, you, you mentioned something that happened to us as well, a little bit of hail. Have you yeah. seen a lot of harvest loss because of the hail? Did you see loss before that because of the hail? I mean, what's that look like? Our, our topic today is harvest loss, but I don't care about what kind Absolutely. of loss we're talking about. What did that look like with the hail? On the 1-1 one, one and 1-3 one, beans, my brother-in-law also had some, and they made 70-72, so we were, they, he was really happy. Sure. And I am happy as well because they were, you know, we had 15% loss at the hailstorm. Yeah. So 63, 64 bushel beans with 15% hail damage on them. That, those are nice beans. There's nothing to be, uh, that's, that's, that's good work right there. Right. Yep. Yep. For sure. Okay. So right now you're in the grain cart. Are you, I assume yep. every once in a while you're checking with combine to make sure that you're not getting excessive harvest loss. What is excessive harvest loss to you in soybeans? What are you willing to live with? I don't like to find more than just one or two in a square foot, if any. Okay, when so... I, when you're looking at that ground. All right, so when you have harvest loss on your farm, what are usually the culprits? Well, the number one thing is because the beans get too dry and they shatter during harvest. Yep. 
So I like to call harvest loss moisture management. I like to have different, different hybrids out there, be it corn or beans, and I want to harvest them. at. I, I would rather harvest 14% beans than I would 11. Definitely. You know, or, or even 14 and a half because you're going to have less harvest loss. And that is the biggest culprit to me is that they get too dry because you can't get it all done in time. You know, Kelly, we've talked about this for years on Ag PhD, the TV show. And one of the things I always bring up is, okay, if you haul in 14% moisture beans, and let's say it's your spouse who's uh, doing your books, because this often happens on the farm, and the spouse sees the dock, then immediately that comes back to you and you hear, oh no, there's a dock. We don't like that. We want to get the full price. But the flip side is you haul in 11% moisture beans. There's no dock or anything, but you lost way more than what that dock was for 14% moisture. Brian, I couldn't agree more. As, as farmers or just humans in general, we're such visual creatures. Yep. When you can see that dock on the check, you just freeze up, and the average guy freezes up, and he doesn't want to deal with it, so he lets the beans dry down. But you don't realize what your dock is in the field. It's much greater than what is on that grain ticket, and we got to stop falling into that trap. You can't fall into that trap. And I couldn't have said it better myself, what you just said. If grain elevators literally put on there, hey, because you hauled in these dry beans, here is how many dollars you lost, and that was on every single ticket— I I can only imagine people would be paying a lot more attention to this, but it's this hidden hidden loss that we have, and it's literally tens of thousands of dollars on a lot of farms everywhere. So this is part of why we talk about bin fan controls, harvesting a little on the wet side, doing whatever you can, because yep. not only uh, do you have the excess harvest loss, like you were talking about if the beans get dry, but you're also missing out on basically, in effect, selling all that moisture to the grain elevator that they're more than happy to take take up to 13% moisture beans. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, and you know, we have about 3000 acres of beans to harvest and you know what moisture management costs me? I can afford another combine. I believe, I yeah. truly believe that I can hire another combine to help us and get done faster. And I believe that that combine is free. I believe that combine is free from moisture management alone, harvest lost alone. That's kind of how I always used to look at grain carts, too. I, I said, for every one grain cart, that's like a half a combine, because I now can keep the combines running all the time. But when we first really got going hard with that, and we were running two combines, and my dad was running one of them, one day he goes, Brian, I just I don't like this anymore. I liked it so much when I could stop every so often and get out of the cab. Right now, you're pushing me all the time. I don't even get a break to eat or anything, and I said, hey, Dad, that's the way it goes. We're trying to get lots done in a day. But anyway, uh, okay, so how about any other harvest loss things? Uh, let's talk about lodging real quick. I, I know for a lot of farmers, they get really concerned about lodging in soybeans. What do you do to try to reduce lodging issues in your beans? The number one thing I would do, number one thing I would do is uh, uh, a PGR. I was struggling with that. Sorry. I would spray a PGR in beans, and that's a rare thing for farmers to understand it's new and progressive spray a pgr it will it will tighten the nodes of those beans and there will be less lodging and you're actually going to have a better yield uh the other thing i would do we even in some of our highly fertile areas we were just uh we were recognizing this in those early beans even with two rounds of pgrs brian we still had some lodging so oh, yeah. you know what that means we need to turn the population down 
We need to turn the population down. There's too much competition there. The American farmer is hurting their bean yields because they are planting their beans too thick on well, a widespread scale. Well, the interesting thing is, like for corn, we always talk about you want higher populations where you get lots of fertility. With soybeans, it's actually the opposite. We want a lot more population yeah. where you have... Eh, a little bit questionable ground, lighter soil, hilltops, that kind of thing. And I mean a lot more in some cases. But, yeah, then cutting back in those high fertility areas is important, too. I I often talk about high potassium levels. That usually helps. It's been a big deal for us on our farm. But I want to come back to your PGR statement. What type of PGR, or is there a specific product you're using to help tighten up those nodes and keep the plant a little shorter? On... Uh on early season, on you know, on post corn or post beans, yep. uh, I like Mega Grow mm-hmm. that you sell, or I also like Complex from Tiva. And on uh, at reproduction time, I either like Onward from Ag Explorer, or I like Inertia. That also that that's a hefty hefty naturals product. Both of those products are all of those four of those products are used on our farm. Yeah, I I think that for a lot of people in the future, they're going to be looking a lot harder at these PGRs as we try to continue pushing yields. It gets to be more challenging, it seems like, every year. But the genetics are there. I mean, the potential that we have for yield is just tremendous. So the more that we can do on that front, the better. Okay, any other comments you got for us today in terms of harvest loss, Kelly? Anything else you can tell us, whether it's corn or soybeans or any crop you've raised over the years? You know, I could never understand early in my career, Brian, we'd be combined and early corn would be wet. We would leave to go combine beans and then you'd come back and the next 12 rows over, you'd have the yield monitor set up the same and there was heart loss. And I couldn't figure out why there was that loss. And it was because the corn had got drier. And I listened to David Hula speak one time and he said, when the corn gets below 18, I believe, that you will start to see the point of the kernel break off with the cob and go out, and that, hence the term ghost bushels. So I never want to combine corn under 18. I never. I, I want to combine all my corn at 20. And I believe I have seen it on my farm. You know, as you know, you're talking back in like 07, 08, when I, you know, I was a lot younger than I am now, you know, about 30 years old. And I'm like, Dad, I don't understand why this happens. And until I heard Mr. Hula speak, I did not know what it is. And I very much 110% believe, Brian, that that's what it is. Because you can't find where it goes. But if you let that corn dry down and you slide over 12 rows, what I like to say is you will lose a color on your yield monitor. And, you know, as the yields go down, the color changes, and you'll be one, you'll have green, and you slide over a couple weeks later and come back, it'll be yellow. Where did it go? Yep. It's ghost bushels. It's going out the back. It's the point of the kernel breaking off with the cob. Interesting. All right. Hey, Kelly, it's been great talking to you again. This has been Kelly Garrett. He is with Extreme Ag. You can go to, uh, let's see, what is it, extreme.ag, Kelly, your website? Extreme, extremeag.farm. Oh, sorry. Yeah, extremeag.farm. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Best of luck to you as you go through harvest and uh, stay safe out there. Thank you. Have a good day, Brian. You bet. Thanks, Kelly. All right, today on the show, we're talking a little about harvest loss. We're also going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag later in the show. Stay tuned. Farming is probably the most natural thing for a person to do. It taught me how to take pride in my work, how to put something ahead of myself, whether it was getting up early to feed the livestock or working late to bring in the harvest. Farming taught me to give it my best, no matter the job. 
My name is Tanner. I'm a farmer. I work for Case IH. Case IH. Built by farmers. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking harvest loss. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. If you've got any questions for us, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. We're going to jump back to the phone lines now. we got Mike Staten on with us. He is with Michigan State. Mike, how are you today? Good, Brian. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, so we're talking about harvest loss, and I guess I just wanted to get your thoughts on this topic and the main things that let's say us as farmers make mistakes on that lead to more harvest loss really interesting that you mentioned that we have a harvest field day every year and we have bring different combines and one of the things we just started doing brian is we asked them to make a perfect run and then we ask them to make an intentional mistake and and we're we're focused on gathering losses because that's where 90% of our losses occur. So we basically back the combines up. After each run, we throw 10 one-foot squares across there and count the number of beans. And as you know, four beans per square foot on, on the ground is a bushel per acre. 
Well, we made two mistakes in it last year. We asked the producers to increase the ground speed, which is probably one of the most common. The temptation to increase our, our ground speed is always there. So we went from two and a half miles an hour, which the producer thought was ideal to four, for the conditions, to four miles an hour. And he lost another bushel per acre by making that change. One full bushel per acre just by increasing his ground speed. We took another combine and uh, we changed the reel speed. That's uh, one of the most common mistakes is either reel speed or reel position. And um, so what we did is we doubled the reel speed. And by doubling the reel speed, we doubled the losses. We went up another one and a half bushels uh, by by increasing the reel speed. So there are some real operator um, management type things that we can we can control. Okay. Now, both of those things that you just said, to me, sound a little bit scary. Because first of all, we're not combining at two and a half miles an hour. And the second thing is, how is a person supposed to know about their real speed? What's the right speed to minimize that loss? Really good question. What real, what real speed really affects is shatter losses and feeding, uniform feeding. So those are the two things that it really affects. So um, if you have it too far forward, you're going to get shattering losses. If you have it too fast, it's going to increase shattering losses. And so um, those are the things to look for as far and height is a really big thing too. So position, you don't want it too far forward. Usually a good place to start is to have the axis of the reel about six to maybe nine inches in front of the cutter bar is a good starting point. Now in lodge conditions, you need to be much more aggressive than that. But in normal conditions, that's a good starting point. Um, and then uh, as far as uh, fore and aft position, if you're running an auger head, the general rule of thumb is to have it as close to the auger as possible because you really need to have uniform feeding with that auger. Now with the avid draper head, that uh, of course the belt is going to provide that uniform feeding for you. So uh, that would be the real position and real speed. Ground speed, the way we know we're going too fast, is basically you look at the stubble. If the stubble is uneven, if you don't have a nice straight table cut, uh, tabletop cut, that's a good indication. If you see pods, stripped pods on the ground, that's a good indication. The knife sections are just not, um, uh, just not operating fast enough to cut, cut through there at that ground speed. So uneven stubble and uh, loose pods on the ground are two indications of excessive ground speed. All right, so this brings me to my biggest problem or challenge this year on our farm and on many unbelievable variability. We're going to have some spots on our farm where we're going to have 100 bushel beans, and we're going to have some spots on our farm where we're going to have five, maybe even mm. in the same field. So mm. how do you handle that? You pay your <laughs> operator really well. <laughs> Um, because that operator is going to make you money, um, whether it's you guys or, or, or your operator. It, it, it is a key point. And, uh, and with these, I, I use a price of $12.90. I'm using the USDA sure. you know, season, marketing season, long average price of $12.90. Yep. Well, boy, that makes those beans really valuable. So we do <laughs> need to pay attention. But the other thing, Brian, it really brings to attention is how valuable that water is in those beans. Um, at 1290, that water is quite valuable. So we really want to consider harvesting our beans maybe on the early side this year and with a little bit higher moisture content than, than on the drier side. Uh, you pay a much bigger penalty for harvesting dry beans this year with that, that high price of water than you would for 
um, harvesting them a little bit wetter and paying the, the drying charges and the discounts. Now, you mentioned this perfect versus not perfect pass at your harvest field day, but at that point, the moisture is all basically the same. Talk to us a little about the moisture difference. You just said the dollars and cents of selling the grain, but how about the harvest loss difference when, let's say, you had 17% moisture soybeans or 13 versus 8? Yes, I would say let's do the 13 versus 8. I'm more comfortable with that one because (laughs) what we're going to see there is the potential for shatter losses right. is what we're going to see. And that's going to be um, loose beans on the ground. And it's just, uh, it, it just can be a real problem. So the only thing that you can really do to prevent that is to just, I think real speed and real position is really what's going to affect that more than any other thing. There is some equipment things that you can do, of course, with the air bar, the addition of an air bar or a wind system or an air assisted reel, whatever you want to call it. But uh, those, those, products do perform well in drier conditions and in shorter beans. Now, in those 100 bushel beans, they may not be, uh, be, be as necessary, but boy, in those uh, 10 or 20 bushel beans, they, they can really make a big difference. Yes, we found that to be true over the years. Okay, but let me ask you this. Let's say I've, uh, my beans get down to eight and I go, no, this is terrible, but there's rain coming in a couple of days and I wait it out and then the rain comes, it re-wets everything. How many times can I dry down and re-wet before I start having lots of shatter loss? That's a great question, Brian. We, you know that that, that that situation is real. Yep. It does occur, and yep. the effect is real. We know that. That's proven. So, But what we don't know is each variety is going to be somewhat different in, in handling that. The genetic predisposition of the wild soybean is to just throw those beans out of those pods as fast as it can and get them out there so it can survive right. and regenerate itself. We've tried to breed that out of them, of course, and, and uh, we've been more successful in some varieties than others. So I, I, you, I just asked uh, one of my prominent seed dealers if, uh, you know, if the shatter column is in there, shatter loss column is in there, and I don't think it is in their catalog, but, uh, but that's something we can, as growers, we can ask for. If it's not in the seed company catalog, let's ask for that column. Let's let's ask for a uh, you know a relative rating on on shatter ability or, or reducing shatter losses. Yeah, the problem with that is there are so many new varieties every year, and you have to actually somehow test this to prove it. That's why I don't know that I I'm really going to trust anybody's ratings on that. But I want to come back to you had said 13 versus eight. You're comfortable talking about. I want to talk about the 17. We've started harvesting a lot of beans at 15 to 17 percent, throwing them in, throwing them in a bin, air drying them using bin fan controls. It allows us to start earlier. We seem to have less loss, but is have you found that to be true? Where there's less loss at 17 percent than there would be even at 13. Yes, I believe that there certainly would be on the gathering side. You may have to do a better job, and this is where I have not have no knowledge. It's a black box to me the insides of the combine. So the, the cleaning and the, the threshing become maybe a little bit more challenging at, at a higher moisture content. So um, as long as you've got a good count, you're paying your combine operator enough to pay attention to those details, uh, 
uh, that'll sort itself out. You may have to slow down the ground speed. Uh, You just want to make sure that that threshing uh, cylinder rotor is is, uh, operating at at its capacity but not exceeding its capacity. I appreciate how you've mentioned a couple of times the importance of the operator. I think in this day and age, we sometimes forget that it's still, we still have to have great human interaction. We trust a lot of technologies and we want better varieties and all this kind of thing, but we have to have good people on the farm that know what they're doing. And again, I'll come back to what I said earlier. This is a little bit trial and error. And if you're not paying attention all the time, you're just going to have a lot of beans or corn or whatever it is on the ground. Well, we've been talking to Mike Staten. He is with uh, Michigan State University. Mike, thanks a lot for the time today. This was fantastic. Thank you, Brian. You bet. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more on harvest loss here on the show today. And after that, we will get to the Ag PhD mailbag. And been getting a number of great questions in. If you've got a question for us, just send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. When you're ready to harvest more corn, Drago is ready to help. The proven Drago Series 2 cornhead with automatic self-adjusting deck plates beats competitive brands for harvest efficiency. And the new Drago GT features integrated deck plate ear shocks for unsurpassed yield capture. Harvest more, return more with a Drago cornhead. For more information on Drago cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. You work for results. That's why the Enlist Weed Control System gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. 
Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio here on the show today. We're talking about harvest loss. Next up, we've got our friend Tony Wendler. He's with Farm Shop MFG. Tony, how are things going for you today? Uh, they are going great. Great segment there before the break. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's always fun talking about some of these issues so we can hopefully solve them before we're out having a whole bunch of harvest loss. I know right now on our farm, we maybe have a soybean field that could be ready here this week, but otherwise most of our beans won't be ready for a week or 10 days. So it's just it's it's good to get some refreshers on some of these little tips in terms of what we can do better out in the field. So one of the things that I had brought up is just harvesting wetter soybeans. And, you know, we talked all, we've talked all throughout the show today. If you harvest a little bit wetter crop, your odds of harvest loss go way down. But the problem is with wet grain, you got to store it in a lot of cases. So how are you going to manage that? So if you could, why don't you talk to us just a little about bin fan controls and how they work in terms of getting that moisture just right. What a, what a bin fan control is going to do is you're going to uh, set it for the uh, humidity in the outside air. So in, in the case we're talking about drying down, we are going to have the fans turn off, typically in the evening, when you've got higher moisture in the air. And uh, so we're not adding. Just like the morning or the evening uh, dew or whatever will add moisture to your beans, the higher humidity in the air will add moisture by running the fans at night, so we turn them off. Uh, in the uh, Later in the mornings, uh, we've got them running. Uh, perhaps in the afternoon, we might shut them off again because air gets too dry. The, uh, and then come back on late in the afternoon, evening and run. What we're looking to do is not expose the beans to excessively wet air to add moisture or excessively dry air so that we're stripping too much water out of the beans. I've uh, had a couple conversations just today talking with people about uh, they put their beans in at uh, you know 14% and uh, turn the fans on at 14, one guy up to 17 and uh, put the fans on and hauled out uh, 10, 11% beans. Right. The, uh, so what uh, we turn those controls off, uh, typically the relative humidity of around 67 and below is not your friend. It's going to overdry beans. The, uh, if, you're, if you're going in a pattern, if you really got them up there at 19, you're worried about it, you might run it, run the fans, and then just plan on adding some water back later. But when that air hits the first bin, beans at the bottom, it's going to strip a lot of water out of them. So that's the, that's the principle. We're going to uh, run drier air but not too dry, and we're going to shut the fans off when the air gets uh, too wet. So a lot of people will talk about freezing the grain over the winter. What's your opinion on freezing the grain, and how does that impact this moisture thing? When you freeze it, you're not doing any moisture. You're just, uh, at that point, moisture's not happening. You're, you're not changing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the implications if you're, you know, corn, I look at freezing. Beans, I've not been so much. Uh, I'll set my fan controls 
for beans that uh, don't only run when the air is 34 degrees and above. And, uh, you know, when it's within a specific humidity band, so it'll just hold them really well right there at 13. Yep. Um, the, uh, for instance, last year, my fans were running a few hours a week into January. And then uh, that uh, real Arctic blast we had in February mm-hmm. froze everything up. Uh, it actually, a lot of people aren't aware of this, but uh, bins are huge chimneys. And when you get those cold winds, 30-mile-an-hour winds across a roof, it will suck air in through the plentums, even pulls my shutters open when you get a strong enough wind. Uh, and it actually froze the bottom of my bean bins last year. And if you, you know, with sensors, I knew it happened. And at that point, nothing, uh, there would be no more work on those beans until uh, March when I could warm them up a little bit and thaw them out. Now, why don't you talk to us about that just a little bit more, too, because I, I think that scares a lot of people when you talk about warming those beans up in the spring. You think about the condensation that occurs, especially on some of the sunny days. So how do you get through that without having a whole bunch of loss? Okay, one of the things, if you go to warm up a bin, and it depends on if you're doing it gradually or if you're going to take it in bigger steps. I've done both. Uh, the uh, standard uh, train of thought is keep your uh, the core of your uh, bin within uh, 10 degrees of the average outside temp. So if we're doing gradual step-ups like that, we're not going to have a huge gradient in that bin where uh, moisture is going to go from the warmer grain to the colder and, and condense on it. Uh, the, other, the, the biggest thing to me is whatever you're doing, make sure you've got a period of several days that the temperature is going to be uh, advantageous for what you're doing. So when I'm warming up, if I'm going to get my bin uh, from uh, example, of uh, it was down there at, uh, in the 20s from February, the bottom was, I want to get it from the 20s, and I want to get it up into the uh, 40s or uh, some temperature I can work with, 50s. I'm going to look for a period of several days that are going to have that. I'm going to look for a forecast such that I know it's not going to be uh, really 90% humidity every day, things like that. Beans, you don't want to blow a bunch of wet air in. You don't want to blow a bunch of overly dry air in. So uh, look for that pattern and then say, here I'm going. The fan control is going to pick the hours of the day out to work, but I don't like shutting the fans off for real long periods of time. And I'm talking like a couple of days, but shuts off for a half a day, not going to worry about it. Uh, But I want to keep air moving. I do not want to have migration. I do not want to have condensed water sitting for days on the colder grain above. That's my biggest concern. All right, Tony, we've been talking about harvest loss throughout the show today. Do you have anything else that you wanted to bring up to us with this whole harvest loss topic? I'm uh, I'm really a, a fan of uh, the way uh, you guys are handling yours, that uh, you go out there and harvest as wet as you can, and uh, I think the key message is what will your combine thrash? Right. Uh, I can't thrash 17%, but uh, if your combine, whatever moisture it will thrash, I say go out there and, and get to it. Uh, when I look on the ground, you've got to hunt to find uh, beans that have uh, gone out if you've got everything set. The, um, so that's a big advantage. Put it in the bin and then regulate your moisture. Uh, I get defensive of moisture, so I'm, uh, I don't like to have my beans dry down below that, uh, you know, just say 12 and 3 quarter type thing. 
So I get defensive on not letting them go too far. Uh, on the other side is if they do get too dry, I think adding water back, I'm, I tend to be a little bit sloppy at it, but it works if you're paying attention. And you can do it really fast. In fact, if you do over dry, you can add the water back. It's not that difficult. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, but I like the way you guys approach it. I think it's the right way. And uh, when I go around uh, moving uh, moving the, the uh, fresh uh, straw coming out of the combine, I've got to really hunt to find anything on the ground. In fact, the easiest thing is uh, back the combine away and look uh, at what's coming off that head, uh, you know, in the clear ground before you get all the extra straw on it. And uh, it's that uh, higher moisture grain is the way to go. Yep. Uh, yeah, we couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's just the whole trick is you got to make sure that you're managing that properly because we don't want to take big docks at the elevator. We don't want to have a bunch of spoilage or anything like that. So anyway, yeah, it's it's really important to make sure you're monitoring what you're putting in your bins on the farm. We've been talking to Tony Wendler. He's with Farm Shop MFG. If you want more information about Tony and what he does, just go to farmshopmfg.com. Tony, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Have a great day. Bye. You bet. You too. All right. So we've been talking about harvest loss throughout the day. Just to kind of wrap that up, I would again say if you can harvest a little wetter, you're in better shape. But I thought Mike Staten with Michigan State, the way that he described it as we went through the whole talk and just several times saying, you got to have a good operator. You got to have a good operator. <laughs> Look, it's always to some degree going to be trial and error. And the big thing is just stopping occasionally. And I know it's hard to do, but stop occasionally. Take a look at what's going on in your fields while those combines are running through. Because think about how many bushels you run through in a combine in an hour today versus 30, 40 years ago. It's unbelievable. So you need to stop fairly often and check things out. Well, we'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag and your calls and questions right after this. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Nothing waits for a farmer. Not the weather, the banker, the crops. It's never at a farmer's convenience. So when it comes to crop protection savings programs, how come they get to ask you to wait for a rebate? Don't wait for rebates. Get the True Choice offer from Corteva AgriScience for instant upfront savings on crop protection products. Ask your local Pioneer sales representative or your crop protection retailer about the True Choice offer from Corteva. But don't wait. Bill once, plant all day. 
The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at AgPHD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of AgPHD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming AgPHD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about harvest loss throughout the show, and right now we want to get back to the phone lines. Got John calling in from Illinois with a question about sorghum. John, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing doing great, Brian. It's about 85 degrees, and the wind is blowing. It's a beautiful drying day here. Now, out in Illinois, it's not exactly the heart of sorghum country, so uh, tell me what's going on a little bit. You decided to raise some grain sorghum this year? Yes, I did. I did. I took your guys' advice and appreciated the, the resources that you have on your website and going back to that. It's been very helpful. And uh, I, we're in an extreme drought still where I'm at, so sure. I feel even better about making that decision yep. uh, of planting grain sorghum. Yep. And, uh, yeah, when we finally got some rain, it just a little bit, it, it took off, so I'm pretty happy with it. Um, which leads me to the question of getting it out of the field. So I actually have a crop to get out of the field, which is a, always a nice thing to have. And I was initially planning on using a, a grain platform or a draper yes. to to go across with it and just take the tops off. But I am seeing some variability, and I know that some people have been known to use a corn head uh, to get it out. And I was just curious your thoughts. Obviously, I did plan on 30-inch centers, uh, so I would have that option. But I was just curious, since we're dealing with harvest loss, I thought this was a apropos question for today. Absolutely. What do you think would be a better way to do it? Okay, so first of all, I'll just say we've raised very little sorghum on our farm. We have raised some the last couple of years, and we just have used our soybean head, so it hasn't been... Uh, I mean, it, 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 you know, it's not a lot of acres. It's not our main thing, and it's nothing right. that I would say I'm the world's leading expert on. Everything I've seen with the corn heads, guys have been having some problems, so there are some conversion kits to uh, hopefully make things better with with uh, sorghum, grain sorghum or milo, but I, I'm just unfortunately no big expert on it. But, yeah, uh, what we had done on our farm is just use our soybean head. And just take it and run with it. Yeah, yeah I, I still think that's pretty pretty fair way of 
of doing it, but I just looking at the field like, well, that's 20 feet versus 40 feet. You know, you got a little, <laughs> a little, a little, a little yep. bit of taking some, some more green, uh, green of green than you want, but that's okay. It's a learning process for me too. I only have about 40 acres of it. So. Sure. Yep. Yep. Um, so, yep. If I was you, that's what I'd do. And I just call her good. And, and like we've been talking about throughout the show today, it's just a little trial and error. Do everything you can to try to reduce that harvest loss. But quite frankly, I mean, I thought we did a pretty good job the last couple of years and we didn't have a lot of harvest loss or anything. So it can be fine. Right. And I think you, what did you say last time that you guys were almost setting the world record if you would have well, you know, filled the, out some paperwork? Or, no, not the world record, but I mean, for what the national or national, national sorghum record, yield yeah. contest yeah. was for that particular year. Yeah, we were, we were right there. Now I, I found it funny this year, somehow we had, I don't remember what they, they had some kind of exclusion. They came with an exclusion this year. Uh, so guys like us couldn't enter their contest and win unless we had, I don't remember, lots of acres or certain geography oh, or whatever okay. but anyway okay. so no big deal i don't really care one way or the other we were just trying to do it just to see what we would get just for fun so but right. anyway uh hey john thanks a lot for the call today appreciate it glad you're trying something new and hopefully it, it all turns out for you great this fall sounds great Brian. thank you you bet thank you all right it is time now for the iphd mailbag We've gotten a lot of great questions in today. Here's one from Daniel who says, what's a good pre-emerge herbicide for flax? Kochia is our toughest weed. Well, Daniel, you have two excellent choices, and maybe a combination would be best if you really had a problem, Callisto and Spartan. So Callisto, it can be used in corn, and it is in, in the HPPD family. It is, I would say, very good on kochia. Spartan is maybe even a little bit better on kochia. That's a pre-emerge herbicide. That'd be the same thing as we use in, in soybeans called authority. But anyway, Callisto and Spartan could both be used pre. And yeah, if you really wanted to go after that kochia, you do the combination. It doesn't cost very much. So uh, Callisto or the generics, I mean, you're talking three, four, five bucks, something like that. Spartan, you're probably talking 10. So you certainly could do a combo. And boy, uh, <laughs> there wouldn't be a lot that would escape. I don't care if we're talking kochia, lamb's quarters, water hemp, palmer pigweed, uh, you would pretty well have her licked. Okay, next one comes from Rhett. He's from Louisiana, and he'd sent a question in last week about some soybeans. He sent us a picture, and it was some pods where there was only one soybean. And he said, what do you think could have gone wrong? And I said, boy, I'd really like to see the soil tests. Well, he sent soil tests. And here's what we have. Potassium, 39 parts per million. Boron, 0.1 parts per million. Phosphorus, 15 parts per million. Uh, the, the, the point here and where I'm going with all this is the levels are just really, really low. So that was kind of my assumption is when we see issues with crop, it's, yeah, it can be other things. There can be diseases, everything else, but the, the pods looked fine. There, it didn't look like disease or anything like that. It just looked like stuff was really, really small. So that's why I assumed it was fertility and it certainly is. So you just need a whole bunch more potassium. By the way, he's at 0.9% base saturation K. We find that yield is almost always limited when you're below 4% on potassium. Well, you're at 0.9. So yep, just got to get some more potassium out there, phosphorus, and uh, some of the micronutrients. And hopefully next year is going to be a lot better crop. All right. We have Glenn Hers on. He is our Ag PhD research lead. And I, I want to bring Glenn on real quick just because 
we were talking about this grain sorghum that we did the last couple of years. Well, Glenn was the guy who harvested it on our farm. So, Glenn, talk to us a little about grain sorghum harvest the last couple of years. What head did you use, and how much harvest loss did you really have? Well, we had a we were running a flex head, locked it up into the to the rigid form of it, and was just we were um, you know just taking the tops off bringing in a little bit of the stock, but for the most part, it worked very well. Um, I think a draper head would be even a little bit nicer just because it would feed a lot nicer as well compared to an auger head. Um, but very few problems using that. Um, it was a very nice way to go. All right. So um, what do you know about running corn heads in my lower grain sorghum? I would, I would think that would be tougher. I would say like an, the old style all crop head where it would actually clip the top off would be better than running the corn head because of the snap rolls that would be on there. Uh, I would feel the snap rolls would just, you'd have some pretty good loss there, I would feel. Yeah, and I think that's the reason why, and for any of our Milo producers who are listening today or grain sorghum, uh, you could call in or email in if you've got some comments on this particular topic. But from everything I know, that's one of the reasons why a lot of guys are run conversion kits for corn heads. Otherwise, yeah, they're just running yep. these all crop heads or uh, uh, like for us, we literally just used our soybean head. No big deal. But how about harvest loss? Did right. did you see much? Well, no. And then the other thing, too, uh, we did some, too, where we planted in 30 inch rows and then went to 50. Yep. Well, 15s. when we went into the 15, it it even harvested a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, it you know just not quite as much mass there, you know, and, and then you have the entire head doing its job. Um, it did very well doing that. Yeah, and it's the same thing in soybeans. We've seen that for years. So I know, like for my dad, when he was around, he always liked it when we had narrower rows because it, the harvest just seemed to be a lot easier. So, yep, that makes complete sense. Yep. Hey, Glenn, as long as we have you on the phone. You're on the head. Yep. As long yeah. as we have you on the phone, I got about a minute left. What are you seeing so far out in the countryside, at least in our region, let's say Dakotas, Minnesota, Nebraska, Iowa, in terms of corn, soybeans, just any quick comments you got for us? We got about a minute. Uh, I think I've, I've been listening to the show here today, too. And the, the big thing, the variability. Um, places, like you mentioned, it's ready to go. The beans are probably going to be 10, 11 moisture as we speak. And yet you've got, you know, plants that aren't mature yet. I think we're going to fight that all season long. I think it's going to happen even in the corn. Um, and then a lot of the weather events that we've had, everything from the drought to the hail to the wind, um, I'm very worried about the integrity of the crop as far as the stock and, you know, and the stems and everything. Um, go out and get it early like we've been talking or listening all day here. Yep. Go get it early. You're gonna, it's going to make up for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've also mentioned this to a lot of farmers, too. It, there's nothing wrong with going out and taking part fields. We did a lot of that last year in our farm. I expect we're going to do a lot of that again this fall. If there are some areas that are ready with corn or soybeans, just go get them. I know you might have to make a second trip out there, but so what? It's a lot better than having a whole bunch of that those uh, very valuable corn or soybean seeds laying on the ground. 
Well, we hope you've enjoyed our show today. Before we go, just want to say thanks to our production staff and thanks to everybody who called or wrote in with questions. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.